Are you bored living a mediocre life? We were too, and we know how to change that. Each week, we'll leave our comfort zones to explore a new topic, then step onto our soapboxes, a safe space to sound off on our latest adventure. Come explore with us. All opinions are welcome. This is a mindset. This is a lifestyle. This is Siren Soapbox. Hello, fellow explorers. Welcome to Siren Soapbox. We're on a mission to explore beyond comfort zones, and we're really starting to make waves. We are honored to be 130th in self-improvement podcasts in the UK. Ready to take the first step outside of your comfort zone? Dive into SirenSoapbox.com, where you will find links to our blog, magazine, YouTube channel, and movie club. So many ways to explore. Pick one today and experience life outside of your comfort zone. You may or may not know this, but in order to be a siren here, you have to be a diver. And it finally dawned on us that we are almost 100 episodes into this podcast, and we have yet to do a show about diving. (laughs) That was until some of us watched the 2022 movie 13 Lives and challenged the rest of us to watch. According to RottenTomatoes.com, 13 Lives recounts the incredible true story of the tremendous global effort to rescue a Thai soccer team who was trapped in a cave during an unexpected rainstorm. Faced with insurmountable odds, a team of the world's most skilled and experienced divers, uniquely able to navigate the maze of flooded, narrow caves, join with Thai forces and more than 10,000 volunteers to attempt a harrowing rescue of the 12 boys and their coach. With impossibly high stakes and the entire world watching, the group embarks on their most challenging dive yet, showcasing the limitlessness of the human spirit in the process. To add to this challenge, we also watched 13 Lost, the untold story of the Thai cave rescue. And for those that are able, visit a cave. Let's find out how the sirens did. But first, if at any time the conversation gets too intense, this safe word is... Mango. Mango. First up on her soapbox is Mer. Well, I avoid watching, I avoided watching 13 Lives for as long as possible because I want all of my experiences with scuba diving to be happy ones. And watching those first diving scenes with the British divers, it really made me feel very anxious. And when they showed them rescuing the man who was working on the pump, I could feel his anxiety too. And then seeing the actual footage of Ben Reminence diving the cave in the documentary 13 Lost, again, brought back those panic feelings. Being an empath is hard, friends. According to to Ron Howard's version of the story, the British divers delivered a dive briefing to the Navy SEALs after the boys were found. And listening to that briefing as a diver just made my heart sink. I panicked during my dive training in 10 feet of water in a swimming pool. I can't imagine what it was going to be like. I just couldn't imagine what it was going to be like taking those young men out of the cave, having zero dive experience. And without the work and the bravery of Ben and his dive buddy and friend, Maxim, those boys may not have been found alive. And I can't forget about the over 100 people who worked tirelessly to reroute the water off the mountain to try and help keep the excess water out of the cave. The whole story is just completely fascinating. I'm glad I took the time to watch the, uh, the movie and the documentary. It was well worth my time. Sarah, do you remember the story of the soccer team before we watched the movies? 
I'm not sure what was happening in my life back in June of 2018. I even looked at my calendar to see if I could find something big that would explain why I knew so little about what happened to the soccer team after they were trapped in the caves. At the time, I do remember hearing about it, but I didn't follow the story very closely. And that might sound unkind, but Mur, I'm a little bit like you. I often won't follow a story that I imagine may end up being tragic. I suppose it's a mental health preservation technique of sorts. So when I started watching the movie, the documentary and the YouTube video, it was with absolutely no knowledge of what happened other than the boys and their coach were somehow brought out alive. I don't know if I can adequately express the absolute astonishment I felt at multiple times during, during each thing that I watched, but the absolute astonishment that I felt when I realized exactly how the rescue was accomplished. As an anesthesiologist, I intensely related to the skepticism that Richard Harris initially felt when presented with the idea of anesthetizing these boys to bring them out. In the documentary that he was in, Richard Harris describes very eloquently all the reasons why it was an absolutely foolhardy, foolhardy, if not potentially murderous idea. Now, as I was watching with hindsight knowledge that it all worked brilliantly, I was able to watch with an immense amount of respect for all the planning and pre-troubleshooting that went into getting it done. I have to admit that I did focus quite a lot on the anesthesia aspect of the rescue, but I just related to it so intensely. Talk about comfort zones. I like doing my anesthetics in a comfy operating room with all my toys around me. And it's not a six hour dive for someone to bring me a new mask if the one that I have doesn't fit exactly right. Watching him anesthetize those boys and teach non-medical folks how to read dose was giving me palpitations the entire time. Now, as far as my cave diving experience, I did a cenotes dive in Mexico back in 2005, I think it was, and I really enjoyed it. We we're single, single file behind a guide, nah, nothing too crazy. As I understand it, this was a cavern dive, not a cave dive. So there's always supposed to be a visual on natural light. I mean, not that we could get up to that crack in the ceiling and climb out, but uh, you know, details. Um, but I'm not really convinced that you can call what these rescuers did cave diving either. I think, was it Ben that described it as um, underground, underwater, white water rafting. So I'm sorry that we, I'm so glad that we did this, uh, we're doing this episode. Um, I like that we were able to see the incredible teamwork that culminated in the saving of these boys and their coach. I think we probably only got a glimpse of the challenges facing the different teams, cultures, and specialists, but I love that our listeners are gonna be able to see just what amazing things that can happen outside of a comfort zone. Jess, uh, tell us about what you thought of the whole thing. Oh, Liz, I'm giving it to you, aren't I, Liz? Why don't you tell us about what you thought of the whole thing? <laughs> Yeah, I have to say, even just talking about it again just makes me hold my breath. And obviously, I was here in Thailand. I was pregnant at the time with my second daughter. And it was just on the news absolutely everywhere. And watching the movie and this particular documentary did help to fill in some gaps. But like you say, I think we will never know the extent of it. And it was so many people playing a part. Prior to watching 13 Lives and 13 Lost, I had... Um, no desire to go cave diving. It's not for me. Um, and after watching it, I now definitely have no desire to do it at all. Um, I go exploring with my girls a lot. And if I get into any kind of place where I can't see light, then 
it's a no-go. I, I get an element of claustrophobia. So maybe that's something I need to work on because, you know, you all know that I like a challenge. One of my, most of my scariest dives have been in Indonesia where the currents are very unpredictable or they can change very quickly to kind of up, down, side to side, spinning around. So it did remind me of my scariest dive when I saw Ben in the conditions and, and again, just, you know, holding the breath. Famous shotgun dive in Komodo National Park where you're literally shot out at the end unless you've been briefed very well if you dive it when it's like crazy currents then you know it's mental and I ended up with three people no dive guys anything and kind of had to climb our way out and had to step up again when these situations happen we have to step up but plan was so important I was able to leave these advanced divers who were terrified, you know, 20 bar terrified. So it just, it just gave me again, a bit of an insight. It's nothing like what you guys went through on this rescue and the lead up to it. Um, but, you know, we got eventually got out safe and we had this beautiful bump head parrot fish school and then some um, devil rays come by, you know, it was probably my best dive in some respects. Um, but um, yeah, I did have to step up. My other scary experience was doing my Tech 45 dive when you have to swim down at 20 meters or something with your mask off. And again, just not being able to see was terrifying. This big German, my body had to hold my hand the whole way. So just learning about the visibility that Ben and the other rescue divers had to go through. It, I could not breathe. Like it just makes me, oh, even thinking about it. So yeah, I certainly relived the whole experience. And um, yeah, I, I was emotional as I think a lot of, of people were, you know, cause it was that connection, understanding a little bit more and, and thinking what could have happened. We don't want to think of that, but again, fair play, you know, watching Ben described the dives, putting the line out, how important that was, the actual rescue procedure. I just can't even fathom the different steps in this rescue procedure. So hats off to, to the, the thousands that were involved. Um, yeah, maybe one day I'll dive the Sinotes in Mexico as a free diver or something, <laughs> but I'm not game for anything more than that, I'm afraid. What about you, Jess? You into cave diving? Oh no. No, no. <laughs> so I remember hearing this story and very loosely following it while it was happening. I will admit that I don't watch the news. So I remember being happy when all the boys were rescued, but I didn't think about it much more than that. Then last year, I saw there was a documentary about the rescue. One Saturday, I decided to watch Talk about intense. I didn't realize how much went into this rescue and how many different aspects had to be handled like diverting the water so the caves didn't continue to flood and the coordination of mapping everything. It's absolutely amazing to me that so many people came together and from all corners of the globe to help these 13 people. When I saw that there was a movie about the same thing, I decided to give it a watch, mainly because I love Viggo Mortensen ever since he's been Aragorn. I was happy to see how they didn't try to make everything more dramatic, especially because the story itself is already very dramatic. I also watched the documentary 13 Lost on YouTube, and I thought it was good for a different view of the events. Watching all these stories about the same event has astounded me that all the boys came out alive. My heart breaks for Sam the Thai, and the, from the Thai Navy SEALs who lost his life, and I'm in awe of anyone who does cave diving and rescue diving. I tip my hat 
or my face mask to you. The only caves I've ever dove, you can see the entry, exit, or the surface. So I don't feel trapped. Not seeing the exit is a big no-go from me. And watching these movies definitely cemented that. <laughs> Elsie, how was watching these movies from the aspect of being a DSO? Uh, 13 Lives was difficult for me to watch. In another lifetime, I had a career as a dive safety officer. We're trained to call dives before they come emergencies and know what steps to take if one occurs. There are plenty of dives that I called because of safety concerns and divers that I've pissed off because I would not let them enter the water without the proper gear. While watching 13 Lives, I literally had so many questions about how to run an emergency operation like that for three weeks. Also, why did no one think of small faces for a full face mask? There are always going to be, there's always going to be chaos and miscommunication during events like this. And it really stressed me out that it seemed to be like multiple parties were not quite getting it in sync. Divers are a different breed of people. There's a lot of ego and trying to see whose tank is bigger if you get my drift. I was so confused as to how they were lasting so long on a tank. Were they staging tanks? That part was all unclear. Although when watching 13 Lost and saw Ben on a rebreather, it started to make a lot more sense. I enjoyed 13 Lost a lot more than 13 Lives because it did help to answer some of the technical questions that I had about diving. It was good to see a few other perspectives from that rescue. It truly was a group effort and every single person played a vital role in the boys being discovered and rescued. Cave diving is one of my least favorite ways to dive next to cold diving. I did visit a cave for this. Inadvertently, our family has a theme every year and this year it just so happens to be caves. So this was our fourth. We went to Lewisburg Cave and as we entered, they pointed to a pond and said that is the water being pumped out of the cave. Having watched both movies the night before, it was a bit unnerving. We got a quarter of a mile in and the tour guide cut the lights. You couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. I cannot imagine what the boys went through and their incredible bravery. Moreover, the bravery of every single diver that was involved as they entered those muddy waters. TC, were you excited to watch this movie? First time I heard about the movie was when Dino's son, Brandon, watched it, then told us that we needed to watch it. My response was, nope. As a general rule, I only watch light, happy, funny things. I don't love the idea of choosing to be stressed out for hours. Dina wouldn't let me off the hook. I had to watch it. But only if he would tell me in advance which person died. That was the agreement. The only way I would watch the movie. I watched the movie 13 Lives, a documentary in 13 Lost, the untold story of the Ty of K rescue. I'm still amazed that this happened. I'm amazed at what the rescuers went through to save the kids. I'm amazed by the kids' positive spirit and their gratitude. Every time I watched any one of these rescue shows, I just couldn't get over that this rescue was successful. It is absolutely incredible. I have very little interest myself in cave diving. I like caves and I like diving, but I don't really wanna mix those two things. My very first dive without my dive instructor, shout out to Scuba Steve Allen, was at a resort in Mexico. I signed up for a cavern dive and reef dive. The cavern dive ended up being more like a cave dive. There was no air on the ceiling and you couldn't see the light shining through on one of the two dives. 
the water came up all the way to the top of the cave. So you couldn't surface if you needed to. I was a little worried about that. It was the first time I'd been without my instructor. It was a very fun dive. And I, I wasn't as nervous once I got started in the cave as I thought I would be. The scariest dive I've ever been on was in the Keys, the wreck of the Spiegel Grove. The current changed suddenly as we were on our way back. People were running out of air and panicking. They were knocking each other off the safety line. It was crazy. It was not at all that spirit of cooperation and calmness that we saw the divers exhibit during this rescue experience. In general, I dive to see the animals and there aren't very many in a cave. And I love to watch how the rays of light play with the colors and make a pattern on the sand. And there's not a lot of sun shining through in a cave dive. My favorite dive is in the best conditions, sunshine, warm water, fish all around, very little current. This is why I moved to the Caribbean. I'm really not an extreme diver. Ben Raymond is no stranger to diving in extreme conditions. He's the owner and founder of Blue Label Diving, a shop that specialized in technical diving and extreme diving training. His passion is his passion for diving began in 1982 and was inspired by a James Bond movie for your eyes only when divers salvaged a computer hidden in a shipwreck. Ben has been diving, get ready for the list, in the Philippines, Taiwan, Mexico, Italy, PNG, Fiji, Maldives, Taiwan, Bonaire, Egypt, Tenerife, Thailand, France, Sri Lanka, Malta, Norway, Russia, Australia, Indonesia, and Scotland. And that's just to name a few. He can also teach courses in five different languages fluently, Dutch, English, French, Spanish, and German. And he also speaks Arabic and Thai. Ben, ben was very closely involved with the cave rescue in Thailand in 2018. After the kids had been trapped for three days, Ben was called by a liaison of the Thai Navy SEALs and was asked to help. Just a few hours later, he was on a flight. He and his partner, Maxim Pelechica, laid most of the line during some of the very worst conditions. Sirens, please help me welcome Ben Raymond, a true hero to this episode of Siren Soapbox. Welcome to the show, Ben. Ooh, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for staying up in the middle of the night. Ben, we're curious, how many times while you were in that cave, did you think you were going to die in that cave? Um, you, not, not once. But you always think, okay, this was a, see, when you think you're on the verge of, of okay, this was, um, I'm going to die, then you, your mind goes blank and you just try to get, try to fix it. And afterwards you think, okay, this was very close, but you never say, okay, I, I'm going to die. No, actually never. You always have that survival. Uh, you, yes, you just keep trying until you fix it. So that's. I guess it's a difference between a survivor and somebody who just gives up and, and drowns, I guess. So maybe the question needs to be, how many times did you have to figure out how you weren't going to die very optimistically? Because <laughs> it looks so dangerous and scary so many times. Um, I think it was about two times that I, I thought I was going to get stuck and being sucked in and I was going to be found in some... Uh, in the cave in winter when the cave dries out and 
Yes. So, but um, you need the discipline to to push these thoughts away and and, and keep going because well, there's no rescue team because you, you, you are the rescue team. You are the rescue so team. Yeah. You, so in in yeah. in the in the, uh, the YouTube video was that actual real footage of I think it was Max yanking you back out from that when you were stuck at one point. Um, there's a few clips. Um, the actual part where I got stuck, the visibility was, was zero. You can't can't see anything okay. because there was so much so much mud flowing past me um, that, that there was nothing to to be seen. So uh, a small part we had to. Uh, reenact like when I got stuck because to, to get people a, a little bit of an idea but um, it, it's quite clear which footage is real because the scratches on the screen and, and so on um, but uh, just that small part is yeah we had to reenact it's in a real cave not in a studio like that <laughs> most of the movies hearing that piece of the story where you were going to get stuck and Maxime like was pulling you out inch by inch. That was very scary for me. I can't imagine experiencing that in real life. Like it actually, I didn't talk about this during my soapbox, but I also have no interest in cave diving. Um, <laughs> it's just not my thing. I dive in a yeah, quarry. It's, it's people dying quarries too. Yeah, they do. I mean, I dive in a quarry here in Ohio and sometimes the visibility is pretty terrible, but I can just follow my bubbles and be safe, you know, get to a surface and be safe. Yeah. yeah. How many of you have been to Thailand? Just Liz. Just Liz. Just Liz. Just Liz. Well, you should know that um, most tourists that go to Thailand, they, they rent a motorbike. And I was actually curious um, last month, so I, I Googled it. And apparently, tourists hiring a motorbike in Thailand is more dangerous than cave diving as a general statistic. Actually, it's 10 times more, more deadly than, uh, than cave diving. So there you go. Uh, I can absolutely believe that the crazy yeah. drivers yeah. on the road. I think, again, it's just, it must take a different level of mental mindset, though in cave diving I guess maybe a lot of people drop out they decide oh yeah this sounds like a cool additional qualification as a diver and maybe they're not cut out for it yeah. I mean do you, do you find there's a high dropout rate when you've taught cave divers no um well see in the beginning when, when you the usual course takes about a week it's quite intense and physical both physical and, and mental because the first two days your brain says this is it's terrible because you have to throw all the emergency skills at them, like uh, loss of air, loss of a mask, loss of your body, loss of the line. And, and people fail these skills. So they come up and they say, this is not for me. I'm, I'm, I'm failing all the time. It says, and I would say, just give me two days. In two days, you, you will feel better. After three days, you can see the eyes open up, the shoulders drop. And they're like, hey, this is actually quite nice. And after the fourth day, they come out of the water and they, they can't stop talking and they all happy and so it's it's a bit of a bit of a transformation isn't it and but um i think only one dropout in more than 350 cave students that i've certified so wow, that's yes impressive. Um, you gotta be a little bit passionate in your teaching of course so if you have the passion and uh, you you are like the normal massive resort diving instructor says oh you can't clear your mask okay not for you next um, <laughs> of course it's uh, 
<laughs> next, next. You know, I'm sure you've seen the factories in, in Australia or Honduras or Egypt. People just go in, in big masses, or Qatar in Thailand. So, so it's a um, different discipline. I know people who like to snorkel and then they learn to dive and they no longer enjoy snorkeling. Do you enjoy diving in perfect conditions like I described in the Caribbean where the temperature is just right and the sun is shining and you're on a reef and there are fish and turtles everywhere? Or do you miss the cave? Of course, uh, of course I enjoy it. You know, it, it, it's uh, um, a friend of mine early this year, uh, Shaf, he had a 50-hour dive in the Maldives and I was one of the safety divers. Uh, and it's at six meters of water. And your tank lasts for like three hours and you don't need a light. You just, like you say, the, the, the sun rays are playing on, on the sand and you, there's eagle ray. Of course, it, it's stunning. You know? But if I would, I was living in the Maldives for six months and after a while you, you're craving the challenge. Um, and it becomes very predictable. So um, then you go searching for pelagics, big sharks or deeper, or in this case, caves. Hmm. Yeah, I'm okay with the predictable, especially if it's the sun rays playing on the sand and eagle rays swimming overhead. I'm okay with that. <laughs> what's your what's your favorite? There's quite a few cave dives in Thailand, isn't there? Is that is that one of your favorite cave dives? Would you say, or have you done have you done the really deep one at Sakya? Um, yeah, there was a there was a long and a very deep one. Um, I don't think anybody is being back because it's not the prettiest. It's quite narrow and and the visibility is not that great. Anything you touch, the visibility just goes. Um, so, but um, there, there's some very nice caves in Thailand. Uh, deeper to the south is Song Hong Singko, which is massive, and we still after ten years we still haven't explored the entire. Uh, we still don't know where it goes, which keeps it fascinating. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, uh, see, people supposedly have been to the moon, and uh, I think 2,000 people have been on top of Mount Everest, but I think less than 10% of all the caves on, on this planet have been dived. So mm-hmm. just coming somewhere in an area where you can touch a piece of rock and you know you're the f- very first human that comes there, it, it's very powerful gives this really explorer feeling. You were the, well, I don't know if you were the first, but you were one of the first people to ever dive the cave where these boys are rescued as well. Is that correct? Um, well, see, the, the, and it's, it's too long to get everything in the in documentary and in the movie. So, because first the, the, the Navy SEALs and a few friends of mine could actually walk to the, to the T-junction where the kids uh, took a left turn and luckily delayed a few lines and stuff and then the whole thing flooded um, then the British they were there a few days before me they um, the condition got a bit better they managed to to chamber three and they, they found these four engineers that were left behind to have them out and then um, but past chamber three when it was flooded uh, yes I was the first and then me and Maxine were the first one to push it but then see it you're stating that uh, I laid the most of the line. That's actually not true. Um, it was a team effort. And if you put all the math together, I think the, the, the British later a little bit more, but also the Navy SEALs who had no cave experience, not cave trained, nothing. They laid a lot of line uh, when we 
were asleep, so we were rotating uh, three teams, the Maxine and the British, the Navy SEALs, and so 24-7, 200 meter, 200 meter, 200 meter to get to, to the kids. And yeah, the way it takes it all. <laughs> I just remember, so again, I, I dive in quarries and Scuba Steve that Tracy mentioned earlier was telling us a story one time of one of our dive instructors was like coming off of a platform with a class behind her and she just ran smack into <laughs> something because the visibility was terrible. And then I was watching 13 Lost and seeing, I guess it was footage of your GoPro just like banging into cave walls. I just can't imagine what that was like. You have a helmet. It helps. <laughs> but yes, your, your hands are Okay, and just to, to avoid any, any wrong ideas that uh, potential cave divers might have, in these conditions, you do not start a dive. Yeah, uh, you never start training. So uh, the standards dictate that you should have at least uh, a minimum of 10 feet of visibility at the start of every dive, experienced or not experienced. So, of course, extreme situations, they want extreme measures and, well, who else was going to go there? See, we sent probes to the moon and, and now they took this asteroid with it, but we do not have a robot that can independently be let in the water and go and search. But we, technology does not have that. It, it's amazing. You know, so it's it's not even animals can can, uh, can do this. I think Russians trained some dolphins, but it, it didn't end up so well. And I think it was not very animal friendly. So it, it's really humans. The only, Humans are the only animals that can explore caves, even with zero visibility, because it really is feeling and creating a mental map in your head. Okay, this mm. is going too narrow. You feel you feel on the floor. This is gravel. This should be the center point. This is clay, uh, the way. Or and this way, just inch hand by hand. And and you can't think that it's oh, it's another two kilometers because then it's very demotivating. Yeah. Just, just try and see where you end up. Can you imagine um, everyone except then <laughs> diving in a situation where you're diving because you're the only one who will or can do the dive? I, I can't even imagine getting ready to go into a dive where that is the situation. I've never experienced anything even remotely close to that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah that is amazing. And I, yeah, I, I'm glad that you explained that a little bit then about the conditions. It, it's not like this was an ideal dive and, you know, we were doing this for fun. It was, it, it had to be done. Somebody had to go in there and start the search. A lot of people, they, they think, um, see, there's a term called adrenaline junkies, you know, people jump off mountains and, and, and so on, but um, uh when you get stuck or when you realize it's a very close call, um, adrenaline is, is no fun. It's a very, it's not a, it's not a nice feeling. It, it's really like, oh, it, it makes you feel very, very, uh, very annoyed. It, it's, it's not fun at all. It's when it wears off, then you sort of, sort of giggling and as the emotions wear off. But uh, no, so, People that think that people jump out of planes do it for adrenaline, it, it's, it's a very big misconception because um, it's trying to suppress that adrenaline that makes it these extreme sports uh, uh, fun, getting sort of into the, into the mental zone, I guess, similar to meditation. 
Can I ask a question about the, the Thai Navy SEALs? Um, mm -hmm. After everything, I know, you know, you were, you were included in the award ceremony and that, and you, you spoke so highly of them. You know, you were part of their team, and I think it was just wonderful to learn that. Did you do any additional consulting or training with them to possibly prepare for, God forbid, a future event like this, you know, given that they're only diving with, with tanks and side mounts? Um, are they on rebreathers yeah. yet? Like, I think you mentioned rebreathers in it. So I'm just curious about that side. It's, it's, it's a bit strange um, because before it started, we're trying to teach them side mount, like with two tanks on the sides, allowing them to, to go into smaller passages because they were done with normal recreational equipment, actually more base metal because they didn't have a BCD. So just a wetsuit and a basic harness and a single tank. Uh, on it, so we tried to teach them that, but of course they have had such a long training that it felt very awkward for them, and they, in the end, they didn't go for it. Um, funny story happened: the the, the PCD that I'm, I'm wearing for side mount, the manufacturer uh, called me. There's Ben, uh, this, this this guy says he's calling. He's assistant from the king. He says he wants to buy these BCDs. He says, Is this a scam? He says no, no, no. It's 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 the king. <laughs> it's a German number. Well, the king lives in Germany. What should I do? Well, sell. <laughs> this is your day. <laughs> so, but yeah, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, also, they they had rebreathers. Um, actually, very very expensive high end military rebreathers, which were delivered for us. And Maxim, who is ex military, he was preparing it for them because I could see that the the. The Navy SEALs were a bit rusty with it, with the preparations. Um, I prepared all of them, and in the end, uh, they never used it, which I think they were lacking training or not comfortable with it. So, um, yes, so most people, uh, I was actually the only one, and uh, Miko as well, that were using uh, rebreathers. Um, and the rest was just starting with a lot of tanks. So the biggest effort actually was people carrying tanks into the cave, clipping into the lines, back and forward. Sure, uh, that was the biggest uh, manpower needed. I think uh, Shell, was it Shell or Chevron, uh, choppered in pallets with 800 scuba tanks with a helicopter in. Uh, so there's compressors running 24 seven uh, to fill these tanks. And then there was, of course, the oxygen tanks that the boys needed to connect to their full face masks to be pumped. Uh, that's a whole different story as well. So there were tanks no staged. There were tanks staged yeah. throughout the cave. Yes, yes. But uh, by the time of the actual extraction of the kits, the water was uh, low enough in about 80% of the cave that it was waist high. So there was actually only I think three places, I uh, might be wrong, three places needed diving, but nothing more than like 300 feet or something. Oh, that's so, good to know. Yeah. All depends who's talking because it, it's not like it's a paved road. It's, it's very rocket and very heavy and sharp terrain. So I think the carrying was harder over the dry, dry parts than if you could just float it out. Um, that's a good yeah. point. And these kids were all knocked out, so they couldn't help. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I know you talked a little bit about 
um, you know, being an anesthetist, how, you know, that decision that they made to do that was that they had to, they had to have, that had to be a really hard decision. Um, but I don't yeah. see any other way that they would have gotten them out. I mean, they sheer panic. I'm sure that they would have panicked no experience. And then being, having to dive in those conditions, it would have just been awful. Well, I guess they got, when they were um, bringing out those four guys that they found at that one spot, I can't remember where the, the engineers that got trapped, just describing how difficult it was to bring them out a very short distance. I think that was what made them realize there was no way that they could bring the boys out that way. Um, and, you know, you know, you're right, Ben, when you watch the movies and, and the document, the movie and the documentary, you do get the impression that the kids are underwater the entire time. Um, so imagining them trying to bring the kid out diving, um, but, but even still, but anyway, looking back on it and with hindsight, it was the only way to do it. And it was brilliant to think of it, but I can just only imagine how those, those first phone calls went to the, to the anesthesiologist, uh, he must've just thought that they were insane because this is just not something that you ever do. You know, you're always so careful. You've got the, the right doses, the right monitors. Um, but then it was brilliant to um, monitor their breathing just by watching the bubbles coming out of the mask and things like that. You know, yeah. it was just uh, the way that, you know, the way they were able to troubleshoot everything. I was just in awe as I think of myself sitting there in my nice operating room with everything exactly where I know where it is. And I'm just ever so slightly OCD. So my syringes are all lined up in, in the right, you know, they all face the same direction. And, you know, I, I can't imagine doing it the way they and did. Everything's clean. Yes. <laughs> Visibility's not, great. Not underwater. There's that. No, no, I'm not worried about myself breathing and, so it was just amazing to watch that part. Well, uh, Richard Harris was, was against it at first. Um, yeah. He said that no way. Actually, the, I think the initial idea came from the French uh, cave rescue team. They had a whole team of 15 people with two doctors, also anesthesiologists, cave divers. And they wanted to come. Um, but then uh, they weren't allowed in. There's some political things, whatever. And the other thing they called, uh, the head of the team called Rick Stanton, uh, saying, hey, don't you need us? I said, well, um, I said, well, we have a plan. We've, we've tried this before. And um, they made the plan. And the plan actually had the, the sedation with, um, with the ketamine and, the, and other drugs. Um, and that's when the, sort of the plan was born and uh, was presented. But yes, Richard Harrod initially was against it. Uh, but then when nothing else came up, they sort of went for that. Um, and luckily there were air spaces because um, you're an anesthesiologist, you know, the half ton of ketamine, it, it doesn't, see the extraction time is two and a half hours. It doesn't last two and a half hours. So they needed this airspace to re-administer. But of course the divers had very sterile needles in their pockets <laughs> in their yeah. body water to, <laughs> and they would just stab it straight, straight through the wet, through the wetsuit. Um, so that's also why they went in quarantine with um, make sure no, no, no deep tissue infections and so on. 
Oh, you mean they, they didn't have little alcohol wipes to put underneath the wetsuits and <laughs> and they weren't gloving up, double gloving, putting on a, yeah. I think there was a bottle of J. Americans bought a bottle of J. Daniels into the cave, but it was after the last boy came out that was cracked and emptied quickly. So that was the only. <laughs> it was the only alcohol involved. <laughs> yeah. What was the temperature of the water inside that cave? 18 degrees, 18 degrees Celsius. Oh, my so gosh. You can do the, the conversion. Uh, in the beginning, it was in a dry suit, um, which was way too hot for the, the dry part because the dry parts were, were 26 degrees and very humid. So you can do the that's, conversion as well. That's about 64 degrees Fahrenheit. Nope. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> it's cold. Nope. So, <laughs> I mean, the quarry is colder than that. Yeah, it's why do you think I moved? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's about eighty-three in the water where I live. But then the the my my dry suit rips, and um, I had to resort to my wetsuit. And actually, with you're feeling so hard, and that it was actually perfect. Um, huh. So yeah, yeah, I oh, dive think in the. The physical aspect of just like swimming against the current for you know however long the currents are and then just like I mean two and a half hours just out and I mean your your sessions of mapping and laying the line Ben god I I think that just watching it I wanted to sleep for three days yeah it looked exhausting <laughs> The, the the diving was one part. It's the, the dry parts in the beginning um, because it was so hot and you had to drag all your tanks over these muddy, rocky uh, slopes. That yeah, was and the oxygen level was low. So they say, but um, to the really find it, apparently the oxygen sensor was old and faulty, so there's no, it never got confirmed that the ocean level was low. What, what in the first chambers, there was a lot of, somebody had a great idea. The first Brits that came in had a great idea of putting a diesel pump in the last room to pump the water. And uh, that, of course, that those fumes, they stuck in there when the cave sealed up. Um, mm. So that gave massive, massive headaches trying to haul your, your kids over these, these rocky parts. And then every time you go back in the water, it was almost like a relief to cool down and just sit there like, oh. And then swimming again and hauling again. So after like three and a half hours, you actually got to the diving part. Um, we came to Camp, camp 3 where, where all the Navy SEALs were and all the tanks were and all the lights were. And it was like a, a radio, uh, good old fashioned uh, radio. And um, and from there on, there was no, there was no support. So then you were sort of by yourself. Um, and then it was another, um, uh, probably six hour, six hour trips from Camp Tree onwards. Um, so, but uh, well, you had power bars and had a big, a big pouch with isotonics uh, in my, my butt that kept me uh, uh, fed and hydrated. Yes, it was a good workout. I think I lost a few kilos. <laughs> What's our new weight loss plan, Sirens? 
Just kidding. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> Mango. <laughs> I didn't even think about the whole like having to like eat and you know drink while you're down there because you're down there all day literally I just I didn't even think about that oh you 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 your body will tell you uh you like just go go to rubber and you're trying to get thing and you're like okay I need to um need to eat and drink something um Maxime and I always had spare power bars and some fluid in our pouch and spare torches just in case if we would find the kids we couldn't just joke they oh sorry we ate everything um so. so when you're going through high stress and not just mental stress, but physical stress, what sort of positive self-talk were you, was going on in your head to, to keep going? Um, well, of course, you, you, your brain says the whole time, like, go back, go back. You've gone far enough, you know, even further than anybody else has gone. So you, why are you risking your life and stuff? Of course, then there is, because I, I saw these parents outside there praying and crying. And then you're like, oh, what if it would be my kids? You know? So, and then just keep going. Okay, okay, let, let's push 50 more meters. Okay. Hey, we got, we came this far. Let's, let's push a bit more. Um, uh, when it came to camp three and you look at uh, the pool of, of mud, it's like a small whirlpool. And you look at it and, and your brain says, that there's no way. But all these new seeds are looking at you like, oh, you are the hope with this this smile and this that you, you you really you can't disappoint them. So I said, okay, I'll I'll try. And the first day I, I tried and I, I turned around after uh, I think hundred feet or something. I just got stuck everywhere and got entangled in old electric cables and total mess. Uh, so I came out and again, I'm really sorry. And that's when initially we gave up on the way back and met the British. And they says, oh, are you go. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is madness. Yeah, yeah, it's madness. We should stop this. People will die. And then we, we they sort of better the Admiral, listen, this is this not going to happen. Um, and then the British left and they packed their bags. And then I went back the next day. That's okay. I'll need to buy time. Because we can't do this unless we have like a lot of rope and helmets and this, this, this. But then the Navy SEALs went in by themselves, and that's something that we didn't think of. Um, and they were going to kill themselves. Uh, so, like, okay, I'm a cave instructor. I at least I know when I'm getting really in trouble and to turn around. They don't. So, better me than them. And um, okay these guys out i'll try instead that was actually the only drive because um yeah the chances looking at the map it's thinking there's two more kilometers to go like this oh, it's you know you're very little hope but then we sort of got lucky i guess actually the whole expedition the whole setup like you mentioned in the, in the intro and no more people died in the ground this is i still cannot believe it it's, it's very unreal so many red flags, so many uh, people without know-how were in there and diving. And, uh, it's very sad for Sam, um, but 
but yes, I'm surprised no more people stayed in that, in that cave. Do you remember the first time you heard that one of the kids was out and was alive? Like, do you remember that moment? Yes, yes. Um, uh, by the time I was very tired and I just, see, after, after a couple of, after so long, you, you, your emotions sort of fade. Uh, mm. It's like a roller coaster, and then they just go flat line. So I'm like, oh, really? And he's alive. Yes, he's alive. And um, actually, I think the first one, the second one, was taken out with a helicopter. And I know we heard he's in critical condition. Uh, to also the coach, in critical condition, had to be brought with the helicopter. Um, uh, and another one, another one. And then, yes, I'm like, hey, there's a pretty good chance that this, this might work. No, because everybody knew heavy rains were coming and they're really holding, <laughs> trying to prevent the ship from sinking with, with their finger. And... It just makes me feel all of those emotions of stress and nervousness hearing you say that again. <laughs> I mean, it's, I can't imagine the, uh, just the impact of the stress. I understand you would almost have to go flat, like you were saying, just to, just for your body to keep going. Mm. Um, yes, you, you try to sleep, but you, you never know because it, it, it was a bit of a organized chaos to be honest, because uh, the Admiral who was in charge was sort of bypassed by the governor and it was a big political minefield. Um, he was trying to sort of direct it, but he had no cave experience. So he had to listen to a lot of people. And as you know, there were different parties involved. Suddenly it was like 1,000 cave experts that knew everything about, about cave rescue. And um, yes, to, to make sense through all this, this, this circus was, uh, was crazy. Everybody had a better solution. Uh, need to swim them out on stretchers, on this. And in the end, nobody had a solution. Um, Actually, it's the French team that never made it there. They stood on the tarmac with, I think, uh, 2,000 pounds of equipment, and then they actually never made it to the rescue. And it's their plan that that, that, that work. Uh, the full wow. structure, the full face mask and the sedation. Yeah. The French always lose. <laughs> <laughs> they never win wars, do they? French. <laughs> So Ben, wow. was this your first, I know that you're a very experienced cave diver. Was this your first cave rescue? I normally do dead body recoveries. <laughs> that was really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm usually called to, to pick up a dead body um, in the Red Sea and so on. I was at some crazy diver would, would kill themselves and I would go and, and pick them up and uh, yeah, picked up a few from the bottom. Mm. In different stages of uh, of decomposition, um, so no, never had to. That's why the stress was much higher. If, if it's a the body, then you're far more relaxed, and you're also trying to numb your mind because being face to face with the body is not the most not the nicest thing. But um, no. yeah, somehow I guess it's less less stressful than having uh, young kids waiting to be rescued. I could see also, that at the beginning, nobody knew that the boys would still be alive. And in fact, a lot of people thought that they wouldn't be or couldn't be. I mean, how could yes. they be? Right. Well, that, that, yeah, that, that was the, because as we 
pastoral teaching sermon is this really small, is really narrow passage. Um, I'm laying the line in the nose, so yes, on, on the roof, on the ceiling. These are polystyrene swimming aids, you know, with like My Little Pony and uh, whatever, the Ninja Turtles stuck in the ceiling and I knew I was really, really close. And then suddenly I had this reality check, like what am I, next minute I'm going to see floating bloated uh, kids, mm -hmm. you know. Um, um, so, but then you just put down and keep laying line and just focus on your, <laughs> your task. one meter, one meter. Yeah, so we, we, we didn't know what we were going to find out half of my life. Are they panicking? Are they going to jump on my on my face when they see me? Um, yes, it's totally unprepared. <laughs> so Ben, I'm sure there are going to be people that are inspired by your story to become rescue divers, just like how you were inspired to become a diver. What sort of advice would you have for somebody that is looking to do that as a career field? Um, well, it's a very niche um, niche market. I wouldn't make my career out of it um, because most most rescues are, are recoveries. If you look at the statistics of people that get stuck or lost in a cave, is most of it is recoveries. Although there's there's quite a few success stories of people that found an air bubble and got stuck there. Um, actually, one of the one of the British team later was diving one of the um, caves um, in the US and lost a line and got stuck in an air bubble and uh, Ed Sorensen, a pretty famous cave diver in, uh, in the US, actually rescued the guy out alive. So, um, but uh, I would advise anybody, any diver to do a rescue course anyway, because uh, if you want somebody to be able to rescue you, then you should be able to rescue your buddy in the first place, you know? So I think enrolling in a rescue diver course is always highly beneficial. Uh, for any divers to do that. Uh, becoming a rescue cave diver? Um, I don't know. I feel myself very underqualified to do that. And I've, uh, I've been diving for 30 years. And uh, so it's not like there is a course. For this. There is one course, but it's recovery. So, mm -hmm. um, yes, but just pick up cave diving. Like you say, you go to Mexico, see the pretty sight. And, uh, get inspired. <laughs> I've heard you mention here um, that he lost the line. Now I know you, you're, you're laying line and, and I'm sure maybe there's a reason why. Do you ever clip into the line when you're in a cave just to make sure that you don't lose the line and not be able to find it again? Because I, I am even in the, in the movie in the, and you see how difficult it could be to sometimes keep a hold of the line. And I'm panicking as they're trying to grab the line again. Do you ever clip into the line? I mean, I'm sure there may be reasons why you can't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so there's two types of caves, the flooded caves and there's dry caves. In dry caves, um, you can't just swim down and up. You need, need ropes, like climbing ropes. And that's when people clip in, they, with aids, they climb up and they, they sent uh, with tools to, to go down the, the drops. Um, but in cave diving, because the distances are quite big, we use just two, three millimeter, uh, small thin line that fit on a, on a spool that you can carry. So that line is too thin to clip yourself into. And also 
if you would dip yourself into and you would swim away something, the line would snap. So it, it's just a guide. Uh, you should never pull yourself on it. Um, so just a guide that you can just follow, pulling it very lightly with your hand. And um, in cave systems, it's always line. So there's never a cave system without line unless it's unexplored. So the moment somebody has explored it, there is a line, always. Um, now, in this case, because of the heavy current, I mean, your people would go in there. I'm not cave trained. Um, we knew people would be pulling the line, and that's why I, I told the commander, says, you need thick climbing rope all the way to the kids. Um, also because tanks need to be clipped on it. And, and so this was an exception to the rule that we used this thick, thick rope, which, of course, makes it much harder because a normal cave line, you can put almost almost like a mile on one on a, on a spool. Now we were looking at bags of um, 200 meters, 600 foot bags of, of rope that we were pushing out. So every time the bag is empty, you have to go back and get another bag, which was very, our reach was very limited. You could only take two bags in per team. Well, we've reached the end of our chat today, Ben. We want to leave our listeners with a challenge this week to check out a cave in your area. And if you're a diver, maybe check out an underwater cave. <laughs> of course, be sure you have the proper training first. Don't just go entering a cave, my dive friends, without the proper training. But if entering a cave isn't your thing, watch the documentary 13 Lost on YouTube. No matter what you decide, tell us about it by using the hashtag Siren Soapbox on all the social medias. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your story with us. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you? Um, obviously on the uh, YouTube uh, 13 Lost, and please subscribe because this was uh, a friend of mine did this, did this documentary to sort of uh, praise uh, people that were not in all the movies. So please subscribe if you can. And uh, yes, Blue Label Diving, if you want to do a course, I currently live in, live in Finland. Uh, I teach around Scandinavia, in Europe, and in France, but basically anywhere. And uh, that's it. I'm uh, glad I could be a part of this podcast and shed some light on the uh, on all your questions. And uh, yes, have a good time. I mean, we could probably talk to you for the next three hours about this, but <laughs> <laughs> we only commit it to an hour. Um, thank you sirens for joining us on this episode and thank you fellow explorer for listening to this episode check out our website sirensoapbox.com for a mega dose of the sirens and check us out on tiktok where we've been posting lots of videos about our preparation for our 100th episode and until next time dive in stay curious and be happy Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Siren Soapbox. And a special thank you to C-Strings for providing our music. Snag their latest EP from iTunes today. Follow the Sirens on all the social medias. And don't forget to tell your friends about us. Like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll catch you next time on another episode of Siren Soapbox.